0: My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning I'm going to be preaching primarily from the text according to the gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses uh, 13 through 20. So for the past three weeks, um, as you know, I preached a sermon called uh, Continuity, Discipline, and Rhythm. And in it I laid out what I believe is important for us as a church to focus on. If you haven't listened to those three, please go back and do so. And today I'm tying in the reading uh, with what we talked about the past three weeks landing the plane, so to speak, by focusing on Jesus' words here about being salt and light and a city and how that ties in with what we've heard over the past three weeks and how this shapes us for future and for life in the kingdom of God. So today I'm going to reverse it a a little bit. Instead of going salt, light, and city, we're going to actually start with city first, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The language of the city on the hill carries with it like a lot of interesting imagery, right? So as a city, it's a place where a lot of people live, right? Duh, Mike, that's why it's a city, right? City as opposed to, you know, the countryside, large groups of people living in a small group, a small area uh, competing for places to, to live, uh, places to, to work and eat and all of that stuff. It's a center of commerce and a center of trade. And so culture generally, the way it works is cities are formed and culture generally spreads from the city to the surrounding areas and the countryside. and the city can actually grow and, grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, especially if they're not well planned or laid out and they can even get as big as places uh, like Los Angeles or Mexico City. Cities are are, are generally, right, they're pretty easy to find, they're pretty easy to get to. Everybody knows kind of where they are and how to get there. And the cities are on a hill, right? So it speaks of visibility. It speaks of all three of these things speak uh, to some extent of visibility, right? So if the city is set on a hill, then everybody can see it from all angles. Now, many years ago, I was fortunate enough when I was a very young man to go to Athens and spend about two weeks in Greece, Uh, maybe about... 20 maybe at the time. And uh, I was able to spend some time at this little island called Poros and swim and have a nice little vacation with my sister. And we went to Athens for like two or three days. And I remember seeing the Acropolis for the first time. And if you've ever seen pictures, the way it works is you have the placa, which is where all the markets and stuff are at the bottom. And then you can look up and you can see the hill. And uh, on top of the hill, you can actually see the Acropolis, you know, the, the Parthenon. And those major uh, important structures that were so important to the Athenians, right, and, and it was the center of the city, right, where you would, where worship was, where the markets were, all of that stuff, right, Athens in particular was known for its beauty, its philosophy, its, its learning, its art, its culture, it was a center for culture um, in the ancient worlds, in the ancient world, and they were kind of snobby about it, and they kind of still are, but um, that's what I think of when I think of a city on the hill, right a place where people come together to share and then what they have shared together is spread out to the surrounding areas. And so as children of God, right, what we have been given is, uh, is Christ, right? And that's something that we come together to be formed in and that's something that spreads from us uh, to, to the world. And one thing that's also interesting about cities that are on hills is it makes them more defendable. I mean, they're not really easily conquerable because if you're set up kind of on a hill or in some places you can see cities that are like fortifications where they're sort of like a, against like the side of a mountain that's impossible to climb on the other side, right? So if you've, <laughs> I'm gonna hear about this later, but if you've ever read like Lord of the Rings, right? That's uh, the city, Minas Tirith is like that. It's like sent up against the back of a mountain so nobody can come behind and they have a big gate like this so they can see everything that happens from in front. But like even places like Athens and, and, and other places that were set on hills. Like Rome was built on seven hills. And when you're on a hill you can look and you can see all around you, right? And if you can see all around you that means nobody can get the jump on you. No one can sneak up on you or surprise you if you're paying attention because you have complete visibility, right? So being set on a hill isn't just meant for you to be able to be seen and people can freely come in and out. It also aids in defense of the city itself. We can see the enemy's approach and take steps to halt it, right? So like I said, the church is a city on the hill and we as members of Christ's body, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? We are citizens of the city of God. and We have this beautiful imagery in the scriptures of the city of Zion as sort of the prototype that we see in Revelation. We'll get there if you're joining us on Revelation on Wednesday nights. We're, we're, we're on the way there. We're almost there. I don't know, like, how many more weeks? But we're getting there, the heavenly city coming down from heaven and in a sense the church as the city on the hill right now is modeling something that's to come in the future right the church is the visible manifestation of the kingdom of god on earth and at times it may be it may need defending right even as our doors are open to all who will enter there may be times where we will have to close and defend right and once one enters a city One, then, if you would like to live there, you need to become a citizen of that city. It's not just enough to open our doors and say, all are welcome. We have to open our doors and say, all are welcome. Now, here's how you become a member of the city of God. This is how you become part of the kingdom of God. Through faith, through baptism, through repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to open our doors, but it's, incumbent upon all of us who are seeking the true God, right? As we prayed in our collect earlier, you know, those who practice true religion, right? It's incumbent upon us then to be shaped and formed by how God wants us to live and what God has asked us to do, right? And so then we moved to the imagery of light. Jesus talks about a lamp on a stand, a lamp on the stand, and how this lamp on the stand sort of lights of the world, right? Light is elevated so all can see it. And it makes me think of a few things, brothers and sisters, right? So the first thing this kind of makes me think of is in my son's room and in my daughter's room, they both have sound machines to help them, to help them sleep, right? But they also have lights attached to the sound machines. So we have little, we still have their nursery cameras set up in the room so we can... You know, we, we have the monitor off, but if something happens, we can, you know, in the middle of the night, we can kind of turn it on and, and see what's going on, right? They, they like to have a little bit of light, so they can kind of see. And the lights are both elevated, right? They're both on their, their little, uh, on their, their drawers, their chest of drawers. And so they can kind of look around the room if they wake up and see, and we can see what's kind of going on in the room, too, right? It illuminates the room. But this also makes me think even more of a lighthouse, right? We don't really need them so much in our age of GPS navigation, but they still are handy, right? Because lighthouses, they are in towers that are very, very high that cast light all around. It's a warning to ships or a welcome sight to ships, right? That these lights are here to help guide you to a destination, right? And so the church as the light of the world, we function to shine the light of Christ, which then illuminates the road or the way or the path for people to come and join us in the city set upon the hill. And we can understand the light in a few few ways. Jesus defines the light in verse 16 as good works, which he says brings glory to the Father in heaven. Christian love as expressed through service can be a bright shining beacon for the world. But that's something that's expressed through us. And I think that the light that shines through us, the light of Christ is dependent upon our having receptive and receptive hearts. Like we heard in the reading from, from Kings just now, right? Where they, they found the scriptures and they read them and it drove them to repentance. And God said, the, the, the judgment that's coming, you are not going to see it. You are not going to experience it. It's going to pass over you until another time because you were receptive and repented and you heard the word of the Lord and you turned your hearts towards me. That is our attitude. That should be our attitude, brothers and sisters, when we hear the word of the Lord preached and proclaimed and read. That it should, it should make us more receptive. It should make us repentant. It should challenge us. It should challenge us. If we're not hearing things that challenge us, then we stay stagnant, right? And I don't know when this happened. But somewhere along the way, Christian preaching has turned from exalting Jesus Christ, talking about the glories of God, what God has done for us through his son as expressed through the gospel, and it's turned from that proclamation of what St. Paul talked about as we heard in the reading, right? The mystery that has been hidden from the reveal, uh, revealed, uh, from, the mystery that has been hidden from the ages is now revealed to you, Right? We have come away from preaching about the mysteries of God and instead sermons are about how to balance your checkbook. Let's do a 10-part series on responsible finances. Or come to church and we're going to do a, a 12-part series on dating. Or come to church and we're going to do a 5-part a, a series on masculinity or, or femininity or something like that. Well, there's no power to that. Brothers and sisters, the church is not the place where we come to receive practical advice. How to be, how can I talk to my mean, you know, stepmother? I don't have a stepmother, I'm just using it as a silly example, right? Now that doesn't mean we can't receive help like that from good and godly conversations, right? But that's not the point of Christian worship. The point of the Christian worship isn't to to learn how to do practical things. We're going to do a sermon series on how to fix wooden pews so everybody can kind of come and learn how to do it and fix them when we have problems. No, we come to hear about the glory of God as expressed through his son, Jesus Christ. And then when we hear that, it makes us receptive. It makes us repentant. It helps us to continually turn our hearts towards the Lord. And we need this, right? Because the light of Christ isn't just Christian love expressed through service. The light of Christ is also life. It's also Christ himself. Christ is our light. Christ is our life. And this light, the light of Christ and his life, brings illumination and light to the entire world. And our good works in his name are a reflection of his own light. Of his own love. Of his own goodness. Manifested through us. The light is our participation in the life of God. Friend of mine, Dr. Jenkins, he said, What Christ brings is light, meaning the revelation of the Father, that if we have seen him, we have seen the Father. But also with light and illumination, he brings us life in the Trinity. And lastly, salt. What was salt used for? There's a, a, a pastor scholar named uh, Andrew Wilson. He, he, he lays out a few. He says, flavoring, preserving, sacrificing, and for, uh, for judgment. Right? So flavoring. We all know this, right? Salt enhances or contrasts flavor. Right? Salt isn't meant to be the overpowering flavor. It's meant to enhance or bring contrast between sweet and something else. Salt preserves. It keeps food from decaying. My wife and I, we like to watch cooking shows, and I like to watch traveling shows. And so I remember there was one where the two came together, and it was great. And they, there was this recipe where they took, like, a fish, and they put it in a, I don't know, in a, in a pan, right? And then what they did was they just took a bag of salt, and they coated the fish in salt. And they kind of wrapped it up and just left it in salt. I don't think they even refrigerated it. They just let it sit there preserved in the salt. And then later on they took it, brushed all the salt off. And then I think they cooked it and they ate it. And it was perfectly done. It preserved it. And it enhanced the flavor that it already had in itself. Salt also is used in sacrifices, right? So in Leviticus 2.13, God says, right, when you make grain offerings to me, you need to include some salt on it. And we're like, what? That's weird. In other places in Scripture, it's, this is called the covenant of salt. Right? So this speaks to perseverance in a sense. Right? This, is, this speaks to the covenant's ongoing endurance. And then salt is also used uh, as an imagery for judgment and destruction. Right? So salt is. If a, a place came in, a military force came in and they, they, they were like, we're going total war, right? And we're just going to destroy everything. What they would do as they swept through is they would take salt and then they'd throw it all over the land to prevent that land from being able to be used for growing crops. It was basically utter destruction. You, you sow a ton of salt on these areas so no one could ever grow any food, right? And this is used to speak of judgment upon evil, Right, so our role, brothers and sisters, as the salt of the earth, Jesus says, right, I think it embraces all of these, right? The church, we enhance or we contrast, right? We, we enhance the goodness of God contrasted with the evil of this world, right? We are agents of preservation, right? There's, there's a very real sense in which the Christian and the Christian life and Christian morality and Christian ethics preserves a culture, And when we get away from those things, that preserving aspect of Christian morality and ethics begins to see the unraveling of a society. And then we can also see how maybe our very presence can be a sign of the absence of God to come in a place where God has given multiple chances to repent. And our presence can be even seen as a sign of God has moved on. So what does this have to do with us? (laughs) That's the question, right? Like I see our church. And I see all churches, really, because this is what we're supposed to be, as a city on the hill. I see the light of Christ shining forth from us, right? The light of Christ, the life of Christ is something that we receive. We come here, we receive it uh, at the Lord's table and altar, right? We receive it through the preaching of the word. We receive it through worship. And then it shines forth from us as we go out empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we go out rejoicing in the name of Christ, as we go out blessing to bless others, I see that working through us, the life and light and love of Christ. I see us enhancing the world around us. I see our preservation of the faith, our covenant of salt with God is something that will help us endure long after other places are gone. I think one of the most important things, it's not just enough to try to keep a church alive because oftentimes what happens is we try to keep churches alive just for the sake of them being alive but there's no actual life there and sometimes the best thing is for a church to die sometimes the glory has departed right Ichabod we see it in the scripture sometimes the glory has departed and it is time for it to die for salt to be sown on the field but brothers and sisters I don't see us that way Our preservation of the faith, our holding on to what has been handed to us, our covenant of salt with God is something that will help us to preserve, right? And as we are preserved, we can then use that act of preservation, we can use the preserving protection of God as a springboard, as something that can propel us or even as a ladder that will help us As we begin, then to take the life and salt that we've been given and share it with others. But we can't do it alone. We need like minded people. Light and darkness cannot be in fellowship with one another. We have to continue on in the faith, we have to be faithful to the faith. We cannot compromise on the faith. I recorded a podcast with a friend of mine the other day and he talked about a bishop who said, I can't recite the creed, but I can sing it. In other words, I don't believe it enough to confess it, but in a service I can sing along with it because it's essentially a nice thing to sing. It's just something to do. It's a beautiful part of the service. No. No. The continuity is necessary. The discipline of the Christian life, of ascetical practices, practices, Our rhythm of the church's liturgical life, like all of these things work together to form us so we can be seen as the city on the hill. So the light can be streaming out from us so those who are far from God, those who are outside of God can see it. And they can come in the open door and they can say God is here. And then they can fall on their knees and repent and be baptized. And if they have had faith or wandered from the faith, they can come back like the prodigal son. The door is always open. The lights are always on. But they will not be forever. So let us, brothers and sisters, be agents of reconciliation, right? Let us live, let the light of Christ shine through our lives Let our churches be a place where the light and love and life of Christ can be seen to all. So all can see and come and believe and be made new. And to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen.